make sure this thing's turned on. James White called me and made sure he said, he knows I'm not uh, technologically blessed. He said, make sure you turn on your, your mic so we can hear you. Uh, but it's good to be here. Like, like he said, I've been here a few times before. I know there's a few people here that don't know me. I'm Zach Johnson. Uh, I was actually in James White's youth group when he was a youth pastor at my church, Stansville Baptist Church. And uh, since then, the last three years, I've accepted the call to ministry. I'm the youth pastor there now. Uh, and, and it's a blessing to come here to Lighthouse. Uh, every, every time I come here, there's something new. There's, there's an addition to the church, and I think that's a testament to the, uh, the growth and the faithfulness to God that y'all have here. The, the playground out there is new. I think last time I was here, there was a bulldozer out back, and now I, I drove up and there's a playground with a fence. So, so y'all know how truly blessed y'all are to have that growth and that persistent, consistent growth. Uh, it's just a testament to y'all's faithfulness in Christ. I truly believe that. And, and this morning I want to talk about being set apart. Amen? I want to talk about uh, just, just the meaning behind what, what does being set apart mean, right? Being set apart usually means something's different, right? You, you have something that's one way and then something that's another way and, and it's different. But it's not just different. It's usually something that's, that's special, right? One of a kind, valuable, more sought after than other things. That's what it means to be set apart, right? Like, like for example... And this is what I, I, I use with my youth. Uh, a minivan versus a sports car, right? Now, now, both get you where you need to go, hopefully. All right? Both uh, are cars. Both have, hopefully, four wheels and engine and all those things, gas in the tank, all those things. And both could technically get the job done, right? But one is set apart. One is more valuable in people's eyes. One is more uh, uh, valued in, uh, in other people's eyes. It's more unique. And today I want to ask the obvious question with, with hopefully an obvious answer. Is Jesus set apart? That uh, seems obvious. Is he unique? Is he special? Is he one of a kind? Is he valuable? And I want to ask that obvious question to dig into some, ob- some, some questions about ourselves, some deeper questions about our own walks with Christ. The questions being, uh, if Christ really is set apart, if he is unique and special and one of a kind and all those things, right? Shouldn't that reflect in our worship to him? Shouldn't our worship be set apart from other things? Uh, if, if Christ is so set apart as followers of Jesus, as believers, shouldn't our unity as a church, our church in general, be reflective of how set apart Jesus is? Shouldn't our church, our unity, our family here, and other churches, and as a church, as a nation, as a country, as a world, as believers, shouldn't that be set apart? And finally, I want us to look at the way we go after the lost. Shouldn't that be set apart? Shouldn't we seek the generation that's after us? Shouldn't we seek uh, the lost, our family, our friends who don't know Christ, in, in a way that's set apart from just being friends or from just being acquaintances? Shouldn't we be set apart in those things? And, and the main scripture that I want to get into today is John uh, 3, 25, all the way to 36. We're going to mirror kind of uh, John the Baptist and Jesus and kind of see how they're set apart from each other and, and just how uh, much more unique and valuable Jesus is. But the main thing I want to get into is how Jesus being set apart sets us apart from the world. Do we set Jesus apart in our own lives? Or do we put Jesus on the same shelf as all of other stuff? To be set apart means to be higher up, to be better, to be more unique, more valuable. That's what I want to get into today. Uh, we're going to open up, I'm going to open this up in prayer, and then we're going to start in John chapter 3, verses 25. We're going to go all the way to verse 31. Let's pray. Uh, Dearly Father God, I'm so thankful for the opportunity just to share your word today, Father, to be an ambassador for you, to carry uh, this message that you've so graciously given me, Father. I pray that right now, in this moment, that you remove me from this equation, God, that your word be spoken here today, not mine, not anything that I could bring to the table, God, but only 
your word be spoken today, that you use me as just a vessel, God, and that your spirit move through this place. I'm so thankful for this church and what it means to James and to me and the, the congregation here, God, but most importantly, what it means to you, uh, that, that we would gather and to worship your name. And I'm so grateful for that opportunity, Father. I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. All right. So the first question, like I said, needing to be answered, is Jesus set apart? John 3, 25 through 31. Some quick background on the scripture. Jesus and his disciples, okay, they're entering Judea. They've arrived in Judea and they've begun to baptize these people. Okay, they begin to baptize people. And you also have John the Baptist and his disciples in the same area. And they're also baptizing people as John the Baptist does. Uh, and, a, and a dispute breaks out between some of John the Baptist's disciples and some of the Jews. And that's where we pick up in John 3, 25. And we're going to read all the way to th- verse 31. It says, Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. So John's disciples, they come to him and they almost say this in a negative way, right? They say, Rabbi, Rabbi, teacher, this person that you've called, that you told us about, this Jesus guy you've told us about, he's baptizing people and now those people are following him instead of you. And that has a negative connotation when you read it, right? It might just be me, but it's almost like they're saying, we're losing people to this Jesus guy, Rabbi. And John's, John's response is such a great example of how much set apart Jesus, how set apart Jesus is from everything else in the world. Even John the Baptist, the one who was born to pave the way for Jesus, even he is set apart uh, from, from, from others. Uh, from, Jesus is set apart from, from others through his response. He says, you yourselves, talking to his disciples, bear me witness when I told you. He says, I told you I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He says that he who has the bride is the bridegroom, meaning that he who has the church is the Messiah. He who has the church uh, is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, the friend of the Messiah, the friend of the one who has the church, he stands and hears him and he rejoices greatly at the sound of his voice. He's happy. He's happy that Jesus is here. He's happy to hear his voice. He's happy to know him. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. It's fulfilled. That joy is here. It's now because he sees Jesus. He hears Jesus. He must increase, but I must decrease. That realization, that that humbleness to say from even John the Baptist that he must decrease and Jesus must increase. But uh, And he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. Jesus is above all. That's what he's saying right there, that I've told you who he is. I've told you he's come from heaven. He's above all. I was born of earthly things. I am an earthly person person, but he is above even that. He is set apart. Jesus right there is set apart in every way. John was a leader. 
Like I said, he was born. He paved the way for Jesus. He started baptizing. He had a following. He taught uh, of, of someone who would come to forgive sins. He was a leader in that sense. He had a following. But even he knew that Jesus was set apart from him. Even he knew that Jesus was on a whole nother level. Amen? Even he knew that. He didn't hesitate to shift the glory that his, his followers, his disciples were trying to give him to Jesus. He didn't hesitate in shifting that glory to Jesus, the bridegroom. Uh, and he says that he's received his bride. Do we rejoice because we know that Jesus has come? Do we rejoice in the fact that Jesus is set apart? Do we rejoice in just hearing his voice, knowing him, hearing him? Do we increase ourselves or do we increase Christ? Are we setting him apart in our lives? As John the Baptist is doing, he's setting him apart in a whole nother level. He's setting him apart. A few other scriptures on Jesus being, being clearly set apart that I, I want to get into. I love to get into uh, the prophecies of Jesus coming in uh, to the earth. I love to, to realize the pro I took a class at Bevel University uh, Community College, and it was an Old Testament survey. And it was, it, we went all the way, it was a New Testament survey, excuse me, but it went all the way through the Old Testament prophecies and how old they are from when they were told, from when Jesus was born. Some of these prophecies are 700 years old before Jesus was even born. Isaiah 7, 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Luke 1, 26-33, it says, Now in the sixth month of the angel, then the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the highest. He will, uh, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. That is set apart centuries before Jesus was born. That was spoken and became true. That's set apart. Isaiah 53, verse 3, And he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as if it were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. This is talking about uh, what Jesus would go through. And John 1, 10 through 11 says, He was in the world and the world has, was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. That mirrors that prophecy. We rejected him. His people rejected him. That's set apart. That prophecy is true. Isaiah 53, verse 7, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. And Mark 15, 5 mirrors that. But Jesus still answered nothing, so that Pilate marveled. He went through so much torment on the cross. So much affliction leading up to that moment, but yet he did not open his mouth. That set apart. That set apart. These prophecies all took place hundreds of years before Christ was even born. All come true. All point to Jesus being the Messiah. The odds of all these coming true for one person, the way he was born, how he died, who, where he was born, his lineage, all that, is it, statistically insane, yet it all comes true. Yet it's all 
100% true. Archaeologists have gone back and proven things. Christ is set apart. He's special. He's above all. That's no longer a question today. If you've heard that, if you've listened to that, that should no longer be a question in your mind. And it really, it shouldn't have been one before we came in. Jesus is set apart. But our new question is twofold, all right? Is Jesus set apart in our own lives? Meaning, do we set him apart in our lives? Do we put him on that pedestal? Do we worship him truly? Do we, do we put him on that higher shelf away from all of our other things? And are we set apart as followers of Christ? As followers of Christ, we're supposed to follow Christ, right? We're supposed to do what Jesus did and act like Jesus did and, and live like Jesus did. So are we conformed to the world or are we being transformed by his word and by his will? Are we being set apart because Christ is set apart? I want to ask the first question. I want to get into the first aspect of that. How about in our worship? What does it even look like to be set apart in our worship, for Jesus to be set apart in our worship? I want us to go back to a second to, to Jesus and John the Baptist in another scene. Uh, Luke 1 39 through 45, it says, Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Okay, so Mary is now pregnant with Jesus. This is a few months after her meeting with Gabriel. And uh, she goes to visit her relative, Elizabeth, who is pregnant with John the Baptist. Now, a little bit of background on that pregnancy Zacharias and Elizabeth, they were very righteous people. Zacharias was a priest, all right? And, and, and they were unable to have children. Elizabeth was barren. She was old. They couldn't have a child. And an angel, Gabriel, came to them and said, you will have a child. And he will be John the Baptist. And he will pave the way for the Christ, for the Messiah. So this is that baby that Elizabeth is pregnant with. That's John the Baptist. And, she's, and Mary enters the room and she greets Elizabeth while she's pregnant with Jesus. So you have Mary pregnant with Jesus, Elizabeth pregnant with John the Baptist. And at the sound of Mary's voice, as it meets Elizabeth's ear, at that moment, John, who's still in the womb, he leaps. He leaps. And me and my youth, we've been going through Luke, and, and, and we were kind of discussing this verse and what they think that meant and, and all these other things. And, and they said, well, it's like he kicks. It's like a baby kicks, right? That's what it was. And, and I kind of agreed with them at the moment. But then I, I thought about it more. I was like, no, he says leaps here. Luke was, a, Luke was a, uh, uh, one of the most uh, literary sound authors of the gospel. That's, that's what people believe. He was one of the most uh, literary sound ones. So he chose leap for a reason. He leaps. And I got me thinking, wow, what kind of worship is that? That this babe who's still in his mother's womb at the sound of his Lord's voice, he leaps. He doesn't just kick. He doesn't just wiggle around, but he leaps. With force, that, that kind of force behind that worship. And, and, and what kind of worship is that? That's set apart, right? That is set apart, worshiping Jesus from still inside the womb. And that's not all that happens. But Elizabeth then gets filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she prophesied over Mary. She was humbled that not just her Lord would be there, but even the mother of her Lord would be there. It went that deep. She told Mary she was blessed. She said that the things the Lord told you will be fulfilled. 
That's set-apart worship. What we see here is that worship, genuine set-apart worship, is automatic in the presence of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. It's automatic. At the sound of his voice, John the Baptist leaped in his mother's womb. It's automatic. And as believers, as born-again Christians that have accepted Christ and have been saved from sin, and we carry that Holy Spirit, our worship to the Lord should be automatic. It should show that we are set apart. It should be humbling to us that we worship Jesus. It should, uh, we should be leaping for joy. We should be, as John the Baptist and his mother woman, leap at the sound of his name, at the, sound of, at, at the nearness of his presence. But how often, and, and I'm preaching to myself as well, but how often are we not even so eager to sing? How often do we want to stay in bed those extra 10 minutes on a Sunday or on a Wednesday night? How often do we just want to, are we, are we timid in our worship? Guys, when our worship is set apart, that makes it truly worship. To worship God means to give everything, not just part, but to give everything. It means to surrender. It means to glorify Him as Lord. We can't be timid in that. We can't be meek in that. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Our worship isn't just in a song service, right? Amen? Our worship isn't just boiled down into to, to what hymns we sing on Sunday or Wednesday night, but it boils over into our lives, how we act, how we live, what we speak, how we pray, what we read. Our worship is how we serve others. How we serve the Lord through our actions is an indicator of our worship. Paul says to make our bodies a what? A living sacrifice, right? Not just a sacrifice, but a living one, one that lives and breathes and moves and goes out and, and, and serves. A living sacrifice, meaning everything we do should be done unto the Lord, for the Lord, for Jesus. I don't know about y'all, but that sounds pretty set apart, right? To live for someone, not just, and we say that a lot in, in secularized culture. We say, I'm going to live for you. We say to our wives and our husbands, I'm going to, I live for you. But to really live for Christ, to give him everything, to make our bodies a living sacrifice, that's set apart. He goes on to say, not to conform to the world, but to renew our minds and be transformed by that. So we can better understand the perfect will of God, not to conform to what we see around us, not, not to do what the world's doing and what uh, the world would have us to do. But he's basically saying here to be set apart, to be different, to make Christ our, our, our purpose for living, our centerpiece. And when we set our worship apart and we put Christ at the center, we will be, we will better understand that perfect will of God is what he's trying to say. So ask yourself that question. Am I setting Jesus in the center of my worship? Is he at the, at the, at the forefront of why and, and, and how I worship? Or are there other things there? Is it, does it depend on what song I hear? Does it depend on who's singing? Does it depend on where I am? Does it depend on who it is I'm supposed to go and, and minister to? Let's make worshiping our God special, set apart. Second, second topic I want to get into, second question I want to get into, is what about being set apart as a church? And I don't mean just as lighthouse, but I mean as, as a county, as a state, as a nation, as a, as a body of Christ. How can one body be set apart and set apart Jesus as our Lord? Uh, Acts 2, 40-47, it's been a big, ver a big passage in our, in our church, in my youth group. I love to share it now with, with wherever I go. Uh, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. 
Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all, as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. All right, the way I explain it to my youth here is, is that people want to be part of a family, right? People, everyone wants to be part of a family. They want to be accepted. They want to be loved. Everyone wants family. We were born into families. We should have that. It's natural. We want family. And, and, and people don't want just any family, right? We, we don't want a family where the, where the other siblings gang up on the other siblings. We don't want to be in a family where the parents argue every night. We don't want to be in a family that's broken. We want to be in a strong, loving, united, together family, a solid family. And that description of what, the, what, the, what, the, what they did in the early church, that description there, that to me sounds like a solid family. That's what we should be as a church. That's what we should be to one another. They taught one another. They built each other up. It says they ate together. They prayed together. They expected miraculous things from the Holy Spirit together. Have each other, uh, to give to each other as they had need. Uh, had all things in common. Praise God. Had favor with all people. Not just select few, but had favor with all people. To do those things as a family, as a church, as a group, that's set apart from everything the world offers. Everything the world offers is that's set apart from that. What, where else do you find that brand of family out in the world? Where else do you find that, that brand of unity out in the world? I, I tell my youth all the time, and, and, that, and that's from being, don't get me wrong, that's from being Christ-centered. That, that's what, when you set apart Jesus, you get that kind of unity. And I tell my youth group all the time, I said, if we don't put Jesus at the center of whatever we do, we can go on any retreat. We can go on any mission trip. We can go on any uh, fun group outing. We can go play paintball every day, every week. But guess what? If we don't set Jesus in the center, I don't care how many kids we get, how many uh, people we start getting as followers, but we will never be anything more than a fun group or a fun club and a waste of time if we don't put Jesus in the center. When we make Jesus the center of our gathering, of our, of our church life, we will be set apart. It will be different. It will be worth it. It makes it worth it. Hebrews 10, 24-25, it says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more uh, as you see the day approaching. How about we consider one another, amen? How about we take into consideration everyone in this room, everyone we meet, every believer we meet, everyone we meet, we talk throughout our week. We pray for one another. We teach and hold each other accountable. Do we come to church as if it was a burden? Like I said, I preach to myself when I say this too. Do we come to church as it was a burden? It says not to forsake the assembling of ourselves, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, looking forward to it, teaching one another gladly. And it says doing so more as the day approaches, as the day, as, as the day Jesus returns draws nearer, doing it more, wanting to do it more meeting in a deeper, better way. Guys, to be set apart in our church means to be unified. It means to be a family. It means to have Christ at the center of everything we do. When we see that Christ is set apart, when he is on the higher shelf, he's a centerpiece, we become more of that family. 
It says they were all uh, on one accord. They all, they all thought the same. They all had the same things in common. And, and, and obviously we're all different, right? Everyone in here probably ate something different for dinner last night. We all probably like to watch the different things on TV. But we all have that one unifying thing in common, right? We all have that same uh, uh, sin-forgiving, living God that, that lives inside of us, right? So we should be unified in those things. And the last thing I want to look at is, is do we go after the lost as if we were set apart? There's this quote that I saw on Facebook the other day, and, and it was crazy. I saw the quote, and then my, my pastor preached a message on this, but, but the quote said, it said, whoever wants the next generation will have them. Whoever wants them the most will have the next generation. Meaning, uh, if, we, if we as a church, if we as, as Christians or followers don't go out and seek them, don't go out and try to have that next generation, those lost uh, around us, whether it be our family, our friends, strangers, whoever, kids, that the world will seek after them. The world will try to get them, and the world will have them. Whoever seeks after them more will have them. And we as a church, guess what? We are those seekers. We're the laborers in the field getting the harvest. We are those people that should go out and try to prioritize that. Are they on our radar? Do we have a heart for lost souls? How do we view ministering to others? That's what I want to look at as far as being set apart in our, in our search for the lost, in our, in our ministering to the lost. Philippians 1, 19-24 says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope in that nothing uh, I, I shall be ashamed. But with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I, yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, I remain, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. So Paul sums it up here beautifully. Uh, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I have a hoodie that says that and I wear it to youth every night. And, and, I, and I want them to see that to live is Christ and to die is gain. While he's alive, while we're alive, Paul says he's made it clear that he will serve Christ, right? He is alive to serve Christ. He lives that living sacrifice, right? He is alive. He's going to serve Christ in everything that he does. Preach the gospel to others and minister to them. Even though departing through death to Christ will be much better, he says. It's going to be much more favorable to me to go be with my Lord. I want to be in heaven with him. Uh, he isn't wasting his time on earth, though. He knows that that's where he's going to be. That's where he wants to be. But he's not going to waste his time here. He says to live is Christ. He's on a mission. We are ambassadors for our Lord, for Christ. Paul says it is better for the people around him, for the, for the people he's writing to, that he remains here. He's that confident in the way he ministers to them and the way he seeks after them that it's better for them that he stays on earth to live and, and to minister to them. He says it is needful to them. Are there people in our lives you think that it's needful that you be around? Are we needful to them? Is it needful that we go and minister to them? That's set apart ministering. That's set apart in the way we seek the lost. If it's needful for us to be near them, to witness to them, they need us to be that example. For us to live should be Christ. And that sounds pretty set apart from me. Paul then spent years in different places with different people. 1 Corinthians 9, 19-23, it says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. 
And to the Jews I became as a Jew that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law. Not being without law toward God, but under law towards Christ. That I might win those who are without law. To the weak I become as weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men. That I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake that I may be a partaker of it with you. Paul says he's become all things to all men. That takes time. That takes investing in people's lives. That takes focusing on the needs of people. Not just, not just a sheet of paper that says, I need, to, I need to minister to so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. We're not just going out there saying, hey, I need to add to my church. I want to get people saved just because I'm supposed to. No, invest in people's lives. Invest in what they need. Why, why are you even caring about them if you don't get to know their name, if you don't get to know what they need, what they're going through? This world is a broken, hard place. And as a church, we should be going out there, investing in their lives, seeing what they need, being all things to all men. I'll never forget what my friend told me when I accepted the call to ministry. He said, until you see people as souls instead of people, you'll never be able to minister to your full capacity. I was upset. I wanted to be a youth pastor. I got, uh, we didn't need one in my church at the moment, so they said I could do children's ministry for the time being uh, and, and just kind of and get ready to do ministry as a whole and, and serve my church in that way. And I said, yes, uh, I'd love to minister to the kids. But I told my friend, I said, who was the youth pastor, I told him, I was like, man, uh, you know, I, I, I want to do youth ministry because I feel called to youth, not to kids. He said, man, they're all souls. It doesn't matter who you feel called to minister to. You're called to minister to the lost. Until we see people as souls instead of just people, you won't be able to minister to your full capacity. We need to be set apart in the way we go after the lost. Not just a select few of people, but to everyone that we're called to minister to, to the lost in general. The bottom line is that Jesus is already set apart. Jesus has already set us apart in the fact that he's given us the Holy Spirit. The question is, we serve a God that is set apart, and that should set us apart. Are we set apart in the way we worship, in the way we live, in the way we minister to others, in the way we set Jesus apart? Are we set apart? We, we, I brought up the van, or the, the minivan and the sports car, right? And, and I talked about how they were, one is obviously set apart, right? They both work, they both get you where you need to go, right? But one is clearly set apart. Well, that's the great thing about Jesus. That's the great thing about the God that we serve is that there is no thing that, that also works. You, know, you, you could choose the minivan and still get where you need to go. You could take the sports car and, 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 and splurge a little bit that day. But with Jesus, he's not only just set apart, but he's the only way. He's the only thing that works. There is no other option. There is no other thing. Jesus is set apart because he's the only option. And the rest of John Chapter 3, 32 through 36, John the Baptist is continuing his reply. He says, And what he has seen and heard, that he testifies. And no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has ever lasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. There's two people in the world. 
Those that receive the testimony of Christ and those that won't. We talked earlier in the prophecies, it says that people rejected who, what Christ was teaching. They rejected him in general. And because of that, Christ died for us. Because of that, Christ was put up on a cross, died for our sins, was murdered as a criminal, and then rose again three days after. That's the love of Christ. That's set apart. That gives us our purpose for living. Guys, there's, there's no other thing. There's no, there's no old minivan to choose instead of, instead of the sports car here. It's the sports car or nothing. It's Christ or nothing. And we need to live that way. We either accept the testimony of Christ, that truth, or we don't. And there's people out there that we need to minister to who have not accepted that. And my challenge for you today is that, that you be set apart in, in the way we live, in the way we think, in the way we pray, we read, we, we worship, we minister, to be set apart in those things today. To, to go out and, and to carry that message of, of Jesus' death and of Jesus' resurrection and the forgiveness of sins, I challenge you to be bold and to be set apart in that today. To, to worship like your God isn't still in the grave. To, to live as if your God isn't still in the grave, because He's not. He's in heaven. He's coming back. Amen. Praise God.